That is one of my favorite Crab Family songs, brother. And uh, there ain't a lot of guys that'll get behind a, a pulpit like this and try to sing a Jason Crab song. Amen. But you did that justice, son. You uh, that was that's good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Through the fire. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Second uh, Corinthians. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're also going to be looking at a couple of other verses, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, and Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 6 through 8, and chapter 19 verse 31, and Deuteronomy 18, 10, have y'all, y'all writing those down, right? No? You didn't even get the first one? Second Corinthians chapter six, verse uh, fourteen through chapter seven, verse one. That's going to be our main text. So if that's the only one you got out of the whole conglomeration, then uh, then you're doing doing fine. But I do want to read First uh, John uh, chapter two and verse nineteen just to get it out of the way. It says, uh, they, were, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Now, who are they? Uh, they are professing Christians, but they were not possessors of Christ. They were professors, but not possessors. Do you understand? And how do we know? Well, wait a minute now. You're judging people. Thou judge not lest you be judged. You know, that's the most well-known verse, I think, in all of the Bible. Judge not lest you be judged. But I'm not judging, I'm just reading. Amen. And uh, this verse, again in verse 19, says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest. In other words, that they might be made known. Or it might be made known that they were not of us. They were professors but they were not possessors, and that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Do you know that not everybody that sits on a church pew is a Christian? As a matter of fact, not everybody that sits on a church pew every Sunday is a Christian. There are what the Bible calls tares spread among the wheat. And when he taught his disciples that, the disciples says, well, wait a minute, Master, do you want us to go out and root up the tares? And he says, no, I'll do that when I come back. Because if you go and try to root up the tares that are mixed in with the wheat, you'll surely get some of the wheat by mistake. Because they look so much like wheat. You can't tell them apart, but I can. You see, God knows the heart. God knows what's on the inside of the person, not what's on the outside. Well, He knows what's on the outside as well. But uh, we can't see any deeper than skin deep. But God sees the heart. And He says, when the harvest times comes, I'm going to root up all of the tares and cast them into the fire. But I'll harvest all of the wheat and not one shall be lost. He knows them all. What I want to talk to you about this morning, I I labeled it a call to separation. The reason that I named it 
called the separation is because we're coming up on a holiday here called All Hallows' Eve. Most people know it better by the terminology of Halloween. And nearly everybody in, uh, in America knows what you know, Halloween is really all about. It's candy and fun and costumes and going out at night and getting scared and running back to the house. And really, it's all about a good time to, to most people. But I want you to understand that it's, it's not a good time to God. God has some things to say about this thing called Halloween or All Hallows Eve. You see, though, it, it started... I don't even want to get into the people, the witches and, and the Wiccan and the people who, who actually brought this thing to the shores of America. But what it has to do with is necromancy. In other words, they say that that is the thinnest veil between the living and the dead and that those that have passed away, that have died, have an opportunity to come into the land of the living again. And some of the things that we celebrate Halloween with and we participate with is, you know, the jack-o'-lantern that you carve out the scary face and you put it on your porch. Well, that has a real significant meaning to people who really practice witchcraft and uh, necromancy and, and all of the things that go along with this. They believe that those dead souls that come over into the land of the living are really scared away. Now, I know that's ridiculous, right? Certainly it is. But I want you to know the reality of what's behind it. I don't believe that, that the dead come into the land of the living on the night of Halloween. But I believe there are people out there that do believe that. And I believe that there are people out there who do practice real witchcraft and I believe that there are people who out there that really do kidnap innocent children. And I have my grandson and granddaughter here tonight, and the thought of that runs a chill down my spine. I have heard witches that actually practiced witchcraft that had been converted to Christianity. They came to a church that I was a member of in Vidalia and, and put on you know their spiel about... Halloween and about what they did on, on that night and how that there are actually children that are sacrificed, put to death on that night. Now one of the other verses that I wanted to read you was in Leviticus <clears throat> chapter 20, verse 6 through 8. And it reads like this, it says, "...and the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits." Now, people who have familiar spirits, those are people who practice witchcraft. And you say, oh yeah, but we're not into that. We're not, we're not really. All we're doing is just having fun. This is a fun night for the kids. Well, may I say that if you're having fun on a night that other children are being kidnapped and molested and tortured and even murdered, then my question as to whether you are actually either a Christian or an educated Christian. I'm not sure which it would be. I, I do believe that there are Christians who participate in Halloween, but I, I like to think that it's due to ignorance rather than due to stupidity. Due to not knowing rather than knowing and not caring. 
You see, if we who love Christ and love souls and certainly should love the most innocent of our congregation and of the world, our nation, the children, are willing to celebrate that just for a little bit of fun. You know, just to go out for one night and get a bag full of candy and put on a a costume and have, have just a little bit of fun one night when there are others that are being absolutely tortured on that night. And there's something wrong with our hearts. But this says, The soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards and witches to go a-whoring after them. Now, I know that that's not a very nice word that the Bible uses right there. When we talk about whores and prostitutes and things like that, nobody wants to come to church and hear that from behind the pulpit. But I can't help it if that's the terminology that the Bible uses. There's a big difference between, of course, whores and prostitutes. One of them does it for pleasure. The other does it for finances, for money. People who, you know, play the prostitute or play the whore with the things of the flesh, the things of the world. We're not talking about a physical whore or prostitute. We're talking about spiritually. Oh, I'll set aside my spirituality that I might go out and have some pleasure tonight. You see, that's a whore. But if you're the one that's making the money off of it, the billion dollar industry behind Halloween, that's a prostitute. If there are any actual Christians that are in that business. But my friend, I want you to know exactly the way God looks at it. When He views what people, and especially His people, Christians, what God thinks about when He sees that. Again, what he says, "...and the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and wizards, and go a-whoring after them, I will set my face against that soul, and will cut them all from among his people. Sanctify yourselves, therefore..." Again, the title of my message is a call to separation. God has called us to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, not to play the whore, not to play the prostitute, not to go out on certain nights or certain days or certain opportunities in our lives that we might have a little bit of entertainment and a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of fun and get a little bit of bags of candy put in our our box. Sanctify. You know what sanctify means? It means to set yourself apart. A call to be separated or a call to be sanctified, set apart for the glory and honor of God. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. And ye shall keep my statutes. Not that you may if you feel like it or if you don't want to tonight, it'll be alright. I'll wait on you until you get back. Ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which do sanctify you. Therefore, sanctify yourselves. Remember what it says. It says, set yourselves apart. Why? Because I am the Lord which do sanctify or set you apart. I set you apart for my glory and and honor. Now I command you, because of who I am and what I've done on your behalf, that now you do the same for me. You set yourself apart for my glory and my honor. Well, if you have your Bibles back in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6, 
We're going to look at verses 14 through chapter 7-1. And I want to give you some reasons uh, for sanctification. Why is separation or sanctification needed? Why is separation or sanctification commanded? You see, it's not just a, a request, but it's a commandment. So, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, it reads like this, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Now the very first part of that says, Don't you as a Christian be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now there's a lot of ways that we can do that. Please forgive me. My throat is very sore. That's not just talking about marriage. Being unequally yoked together, certainly for a Christian to join into an unchristian family, is a commandment, not a request, but a commandment of God. That we come out from among them and be separate in our marriages, in our families, in our lives. It is only proper for a Christian to marry a Christian. Oh, but I love her. Oh, but I love him. Oh, but I can convert him. I can win him to the Lord. You don't know that. All you know is what the Word of God teaches. And we had better be obedient and pay attention to what it is that God says rather than what it is that we feel. Well, but but God loves me and God loves Him. And, and if I'm a Christian and, and God loves me and loves Him or loves me and loves her, then why can't we get married? And, and I believe that I can... Yes, but... More than likely, instead of you leading them to Christ, they'll lead you back to the world. Because you still have an old nature living on the inside of you, and they have no new nature living on They've got the leverage. They've got the leverage on you. Well, where it says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers in verse 14... It goes on to say this, For what fellowship hath righteousness with <clears throat> unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Now, why separate? Why is separation even necessary or needed? Well, I'll tell you. Because the two greatest influences in the world today are diametrically opposed to each other. You've got God and you've got Satan. And here in these verses, 14, 15, and uh, 16, it says this, that not only is God and Satan diametrically opposed to each other, but it also says this, that righteousness and unrighteousness, boy, I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer, right? They are diametrically opposed to each other. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord? And you know what concord is. What peace does Christ have with Belial? And Belial is just another word or another name it's used here in that context. Another name for the devil. How does God or Christ and the devil get along with each other? You think they get along on Halloween night? 
Then all of a sudden, the Lord's just going to set aside His holiness, His righteousness, His faithfulness to God the Father, and, and all of the things that He is by nature on the inside of Him. Set those apart and go over and shake hands with the devil and get along with him. Just for one night, well, we'll have a good time. We'll come back. You know, that's, I tried that one night with my wife. I said, baby, I'm going to go out with the guys. We're going to have a drink and party and shoot some pool and drink some beers, but I'll be back tomorrow night. Uh, I love you. What do you think she said? That's why I ain't got no hair on my head. And that's a lot of the reason why a lot of us as Christians find ourselves in problems and in troubles because we believe that, well, I love God and He loves me. Can I go out and play the whore with the world just for a night? Just for a minute? It's just, it's just fun. We really don't mean anything by If He loves me, He's going to accept me back, right? My friend, that's a dangerous, dangerous game that we play. Why is separation needed? Because righteousness has no fellowship with unrighteousness. Light has no communion with darkness. Christ has no concord with the devil. And by the way, in verse 15, it also says that the believer has no part with the unbeliever. Not in marriage, not in business, not in fun. We should come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. In verse 16, it says this, And what agreement hath the temple of God? And by the way, this building... Ain't the temple of God. You, if you are a child of God in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells, you are the temple of God. God lives on the inside of you and everywhere you go, you take Him with you. Everything you do, everything you see, everything you say, you make Him a silent partner in every action that you do. And in verse 16, again it says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? My friend, that is idolatry. For us to go out and worship pleasure more than God. More than the true and living God. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. My friend, I want you to realize because God lives on the inside of me, separation is absolutely needed. I need to come out from amongst the world. I need to separate myself from the things of the flesh and the things that are contrary to the holiness and righteousness of God. Secondly, why why is separation commanded? <clears throat> well, the Bible says because you cannot you cannot serve both God and Mammon. Remember what we said earlier about the difference between whoredom and prostitution. One is for pleasure, the other is for profit or for money. But there's a lot of different ways to profit. Uh, certainly, even the whore gains profit from the pleasure that she has received. 
And for us to go out and when we're talking about spiritual infidelity, I, I've always mentioned, you know, Gomer and uh, how how that God made him go out and find a wife that was a prostitute and her name was Gomer and she would go out and sneak out the window every night and Hosea would get up and find her gone and go to God and say and he said go get her go get her go get her go get her and what he's doing and Lord I don't want her I don't want her I don't want her but you see the problem here is that we're slipping out on God because we do want we want the word we're playing the part of Gomer. And we're wanting to go to town and we're wanting to have fun and we're wanting to invest our lives in just a little pleasure for just a little time. And God is sending the Holy Spirit after us to bring us back over and over and over and over. That's the picture. In the Old Testament, it was the picture of the nation of Israel playing the harlot against God with the things of the flesh. Here it's a picture of us playing the harlot against the things of Christ with the things of the world. Why is separation commanded? Because I can't be a Christian. Oh, I can be saved. See, there's a difference between being saved and being Christian. Being saved is what God did in me. When He illuminated, regenerated, drew me, saved my soul, changed my destiny from hell to heaven, placed His Holy Spirit on the inside of me. But sometimes we do go out, climb out the window, go play with the things of the world until we become callous. Our hearts, not our hands, but our hearts become calloused. Year after year, time after time, we continue to pray the, play the harlot. And we become calloused. And yet Christ still comes after us. You can't serve God and mammon, the Bible says, but you can be a saved person and not be Christian. You see, a Christian is somebody who is living for Christ. Living the life that brings glory and honor. You know a Christian. Christ is anointed. Christian is a little yen anointed Christ. We have Christ living on the inside of us. We are little anointed ones. We are Christians. And we are living a life that brings glory and honor to God. Unless we're not. And if we're not, then why not? Because we have become so callous to the things of Christ and the Word of God and the house of God and the people of God. We think that this is just, you know, this is a religious thing. And I do this on Sunday, but I don't have to really live it, do I? Well, the Bible says yes. That as a matter of fact, in order to be Christian, that necessarily involves living it. My friend, there's a lot of of people who are saved who go to the woodshed with God all of the time and take whippings. You know, the Bible says, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every child. Now, we're, we're children of God. But God chastises His own children. And we wonder why America is in the shape that it's in. It's not because of the lost world. It's because of the Christian world that is living like the lost world. 
that's going out into the world and participating in the things of the flesh like Gomer did on Hosea every night and thinking that her whoredom was okay. Why? Because she really loved the things that she was doing. She really didn't have a lot of love for Hosea. My friend, do we really love him? I remember him asking Peter that. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? That's what Peter told him. I love you more. I love you more than the rest of these disciples do, Lord. I'll, I'll go to the cross. I'll die with you. Isn't that what we told him when we bent the knee and bowed the head and surrendered our hearts and our lives to him? When we asked him to come into our hearts and save our souls. Lord, I love you more than I love my sin. I confess, I repent, I turn away from my sin and I turn to You. I receive You as my, my lover, my, my Savior, my Lord, my groom. I'm Your bride. And I'll be faithful to You. I'll live my life for You. And boy, it's not long until all of a sudden the polish wears off of that. Doesn't it? We start looking back over our shoulder and out the window at the things of the flesh. Just a little fun. It's not going to hurt anything. My friend, I'll tell you what it hurts. It breaks the heart of God. It quenches the Holy Spirit. Crushes the heart of Christ. When He sees His bride doing the things that we do. Why is separation needed? Why is separation commanded? Commanded. Remember that it's not a request. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you unto myself. Now, do you hear any type of request in verse 17? Wherefore? What is wherefore? Wherefore? Therefore? Wherefore is therefore, because of what was said in verse 14, 15, the things that I said, why? Why should we separate ourselves? Because holiness has no business being with unholiness and righteousness with unrighteousness and the things of God with the things of Belial or Satan. But because that, you should come out from among them and be separate. It's not should. It says, do it. There is a commandment there. Well, if I do, then what? Is God, is God going to take me to that woodshed and tear me up? No, if you don't, then He will. But if you'll confess and repent and turn away and come out from among them and be separate and, and make a vow to God. Oh, it's better not to vow a vow than to vow a vow and not, not keep it. Well, keep it. You know, I, I busted myself. I said the worst whooping I ever took in my life from God was making a vow to Him and not keeping it. And boy, I, I mean, He liked to kill me over that. Maybe not physically, but at least mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It took... Months and months for me to recuperate from that. You know what I learned? Don't break your vow. A lot of people say, oh, I learned. You know what I learned? Not to make a vow. If I don't break it, I can't keep it. I mean, can't break it. If I don't make it, I can't break it. My friend, that causes us to become calloused. 
that causes us to give us a, a back door to be able to do what we want to do rather than what we know we should do. And by making a vow, it solidifies something in our lives that says, hey, I better do that. I had better keep that. But you look again at verse 17. It says, Wherefore come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Boy, what a reward there is in being obedient to the Word of God. To study, to hide it in my heart, to live a life that God actually is pleased with. And when God is pleased with me, rather than unpleased with me, rather than going to the woodshed and getting a, a whooping from Him all the time, He receives me unto Himself as a child, as a bride, as a friend, as somebody that He... You know, I, I don't... I don't like the memories that I have in my head. Some of them, most of them, of my father. But I do understand what a father is supposed to be like. Because of this. You look at verse 18. And I will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What kind of fathers are we being? When we send our little boys and little girls out down the street dressed up like demons and goblins so they can have some fun and get some candy. I've done it. First Halloween of my salvation back in 1987. I dressed up like a vampire. My son sitting right there was dressed up like a devil. Had the little red suit with horns and pitchfork and everything. Still got pictures of it to remind me. My wife was dressed up like a, a leopard. She was a pretty good looking leopard to be honest with you. My mother-in-law had a witch's hat on. I got a picture of us standing around a fire over a cauldron with a witch's brew going. And it was a church service. You notice I don't have a smile on my face. That's not funny to me. I regret that. I dread that. I'm horrified by that. Because I instilled something in my children that now, no matter how long I live, that will never escape their memory. I implanted that in their life. In a way, I put a stamp of approval on it for them. And may I say in front of Him and His children, would to God I'd have never done that. And I'll promise you that one day when you stand before God, you may not regret it now, but you will then. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy. God, help us to love You more than anything else in this world. There's nothing that this world has to offer that is better than You. Help us, Lord, not only to love You, but to live for You to be faithful to You in the lives that You've given us to live. 
Help us to realize the seriousness. I know that the television and all the cartoons and all the things of advertisement in the grocery stores, everywhere we go, they make it look so fun. God, therein lies the danger. Help us understand that everything that glitters ain't gold. Everything that looks fun isn't. It's not. It might be for a little while, but God, it's too expensive. Forgive us, Lord. Strengthen us. Help us, God, to find our way back to You, to our first love, that love that we loved You with when we surrendered our lives to You. God, we'll give You the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.